Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. You're very welcome to another episode of the Scaling Your Business podcast. For this episode, I am joined by Mark Canavan, the co-founder and CEO of Greenheart CBD. Mark, you're very welcome to the show. Thanks, Ryan, for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm delighted to have you. Typical fashion of the show is we start with spending the first five, six minutes getting to know the guests, and then we jump into the podcast. No different with you. Um, I know that you spent some time growing up in Garha. I don't know if you grew up there your entire life. But what was life like growing up in Curaha? It's good. Yeah, in Curaha. So we moved out to Curaha from Dublin when I was 11. Um, we moved out from the big smoke into a nice little uh, village, uh, country life. And um, we, my dad was uh, had a wholesale sandwich business at the time and a couple of shops around Dublin, just convenience stores. He then built a shop beside on the land beside the house. So with that shop, then he built a um, catering facility to run the wholesale sandwich business from. So from that age, I got heavily involved in the businesses and I was working in the shop and we then got into outdoor catering. My chef, my dad's chef by trade. So um, we were doing outdoor events, got, had mobile catering units where we used to go to the concerts and festivals and things. So I was always uh, very entrepreneurial from such a young age, and that's the way in which I was brought up. My mom is also an entrepreneur, and she had a, she's a beautician. She had her own salon in Dublin and had a quite a high-profile clientele, uh, which was great because that actually opened a lot of doors for me then uh, further in my career as I developed good relationships, um, and they'd seen my sort of entrepreneurial drive from such a young age. It was uh, inspirational to them. Uh, to see such a young guy come up and really get involved so heavily in the business at such a young age. So, yeah, I went to school in Corahas, small, uh, I think there was five people in my class. We had four wow. classes in the classroom. <laughs> um, there was second, third, or third, fourth, 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 fifth, and sixth, all in the same room. So it was an interesting time for the teacher. Um, but I got through it. I uh, went to secondary school then in Dunshockland and then I went on to study entrepreneurship in uh, Maynooth University then, which I came out with an honors degree. And yeah, that was that was my uh, early years into my educational side of things. I will go back to go do a master's and further my education, but uh, at the moment I'm tied Easy. up heavily with uh, Greenhouse CBD and the expansion and evolution of this company. And I'm looking forward to getting into into the weeds on that topic. Uh, for anyone who doesn't know Curaha, because it's not the largest city in the world, it's about 25 minutes from Dublin Airport. I'd be correct with that. Um, yeah, that's about it. <laughs> yeah. Um, influence and impact is a question I like to ask. And seeing as you're both your parents were very entrepreneurial, um, people can usually pinpoint a, a handful of people that had a massive impact or influence on their early years that helped them become the person they were today teachers, acquaintances, parents, relatives, close friends, anyone spring to mind for you? My father was the main, main influence. My grandfather um, on my mother's side, uh, Jerry Glynn, was uh, an entrepreneur as well. He had a drapery business and uh, he, he supplied the likes of Dunn stores, a lot of hotels around the country. And like he started that company, I think it was in the 50s, and he used to import the stocks from Spain. So that was a huge thing back then to be traveling 
over overseas and bringing bringing product back in. So he he had a warehouse, and in my younger days, I used to spend Saturdays with my granny and granda because my parents were both working. So I used to often be brought out to the warehouse, and I'd be loading and unloading vans, and again. All the the fun donkey work that a, a child should be doing <laughs> to get them trained up in the whole entrepreneurial side of things, get them to see that side of the world. So, yeah, my my grandfather and my dad would be the biggest influences from an entrepreneurial perspective. Nice answer. I like that. A, a, a lot of people have pointed to their to their grandparents and particularly their parents of having a positive influence. Nice to know that yours are included in that list too. Um, I'd like to, actually, I was going to ask another question. I'll, I'll go back to the question I was originally going to ask, and it's, um, what did you want to be when you grew up and why? Businessman. I always wanted to be to someone to be at the head driving a, driving a company. I've uh, always looked up to my father as he, he drove different companies and he got me involved. And I was always his right-hand man and, it was really interesting that the Royal We did everything. Um, that was me, <laughs> but uh, he was the one that had got the got the job and distributed the job to me <laughs> and got me to do them. But I always wanted to be that person to uh, be distribute the positions. Mm. Um, but I, I it was I would never had never the only person other person aside from my father that I've worked for is Patrick Swan, who owns the pub across the road in Curaha. Mm, then I went great, to place, great, great place. Yeah, yeah. Then I went on to do the catering for them, which was my own uh, venture. Um, my first entrepreneurial um, business—I don't know if you would quite call it a business—but uh, kind of lift that I did on my own was I used to um, Perry crisps or hunky dories in Largo. It's down the road from us in Carha. I used to go down and get black sacks full of crisps because you used to get a black sack for a fiver, and I used to fill my bag up going into school and stand beside the vending machine and sell, sell two bags for the for the price that wow. the vending machine was charging. That was my first little uh, venture. I was also heavily interested in reptiles and snakes and lizards. So I started breeding them and I sold them back to the pet shops then. At wow. one stage, I had a collection of over 70 reptiles and I had them all in my bedroom, which became a bed and uh, vivariums. So then I got a part cabin, which we put down at the yard at the back of the shop. And I kitted that out as a full reptile house. And I was in talks then briefly uh, before Tato Park opened with Raymond Coyle, um, who was the owner of Largo Foods. Mm. He's now sold the majority stake, but he's the um, majority shareholder of Tato Park. And we were in talks about putting a reptile house in. Unfortunately, he didn't go ahead with the, with that idea, but uh he was very impressed when he came up to see the see the whole setup, but it was just a cost issue on his side. He just with the heating elements and everything that was needed mm. and the speciality care. So, but look, I made a few bob out of it. I had a really interesting time. I learned an awful lot in breeding and creating environments and that whole thing, which is essentially what you're doing in a business. Yeah, it's just it's the same principles. Wow, it's always interesting to see some of the moves. Uh, future entrepreneurs make when they're young um yeah. yeah the first thought that went through my head was i know there's a zoo in taylor park but you can essentially claim ownership of the first zoo in that region yeah, <laughs> yeah. i just didn't charge people in which is my only downfall <laughs> yeah well look you, there's there's reasons why not every venture succeeds you learn from them um what's your dad's name by the way no no Kahneman. big shout out to Noel calvin for the the impact he had on you um, but, uh, 
let's rewind to 2006. You spent three years uh, working with Patrick Swan as a barman in Swans. Um, it's the hospitality industry. And the question I have for you there is, it's probably a two-part question. One would be, what lessons did you learn from your time there? Did you improve any skills, communication, building rapport? And the second part of that is, do you think everyone should do a stint in hospitality uh, before they go into the big bad world, you may say? And if so, why? 100%. Okay. Well, firstly, the skill sets that I've learned through that space. Um, I've, I was also working with my father doing the catering. So it's very, very similar um, sort of working environment. It's all about customer service. I really, really enjoyed it. I think it is very important um, and beneficial for anyone anyone at all, no matter what industry they go into, as a, as a young teenager or anything, to be working in that sort of environment, it's high pace, it gives you a good work ethic. And it you have to wear the smile on your face, you have to, the customer's always right, but you have to enjoy that time too. So it's it's hard work. Again, for the work from the work ethic perspective, it really gives you that drive and to see what it's like from that environment. And serving people, it's very important that you encourage people and allow people to have a good time even and enjoy it while you're the one uh, facilitating that. Mm. But um, I sure. think, it, think it's, think it's uh, it was a huge benefit to me anyway. Nice. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I did. I've done a couple of stints in hospitality. Uh, my latest one was probably when I returned from Australia in 2015, I worked for six months in Molly's in Ashburn, Molly's bar. Um, yeah, John. Yeah, John Bob Roderick. Um, you were the GM at I might pronounce this wrong. Halo Munchies. Um, yeah. Two-part question on that is, what was that business? And then was there one or two things that you felt that you did well that contributed to uh, the longevity or the success of that venture? 100%. Yeah. Okay. So that business is, Halo Munchies is an honesty box-based business. So it's based on the honorary system. So we were partnering with a child line in the ISPCC, so it's a, it, the idea is it's a confectionery product. Uh, confectionery products are sold through the company. So cans of crisps, cans, crisps, and bars of chocolate. Um, and it's done through a cardboard box with a um, coin box on the front. And then it's left in the likes of banks, offices, warehouses, any business at all. So basically, the, it's a euro per product, which ended up having to be hiked to 120 with inflation. And you allow the customer to pay what they feel they should pay. But the association with the charity then is an extra encouragement for them to pay for the product. Mm -hmm. Generally speaking, we had an 8% pilferage rate, which is very manageable if you consider the cost of the cardboard box against vending machines and the likes. Now, in the later years of Halo, we did go into vending. And then um, at the end, well, we when we stopped the uh, expansion due to COVID, we've, we have had and still have 200 vending machines on sites. Wow. Um, at our peak, we had 4,500 customers across the country. We started this company. Um, it was um, part of a takeover. My father was in business with another guy, and they. it was a company called Lunchpack. We supplied the wholesale sandwiches and did all the distribution through um, canteens and schools. Hmm. That company went under, and unfortunately, there was quite a hefty bill owed to owed to ourselves for the uh, service we had provided. As part, the 
Payload Foods um, was a company that had one employee. It was the same business model, although it was working with a Chernobyl charity and the it was very low spec on, on the um, the printed boxes and everything, the product range, everything that they were using. It was just a bit half arsy. So when we took over, we kind of gave it that uplift. We took over and I uh, became general manager while I was in the second year of college. And um, we had one employee and myself. So I was working full time while in college full time. And um, so it was very busy and interesting years. We built that up um, in the summer then of the of my transition from second to third year, we took on our third employee. That allowed me to come off the road and just to manage it from a admin perspective Then took on an additional sales salesperson, built it up. So I had 10 employees working from our base in Coraha, servicing the Leinster area. That was our reach as far as we could go when it came to distribution. So I moved down to Cork then, once I finished college, moved down for, um, I think it was a four-month period and built another depot down there. So we had three staff then working from Cork and did the same then um, in the Galway region. So I peaked out at 16 staff across the country, four and a half thousand customers with honesty boxes, 200 vending machines. And then I, I kind of maxed out of what I could do within the Eurozone on our island. Mm. And it's cash business, it's coin handling. There's a lot of management involved in it. We were looking at expanding into the UK, but I was just going to be very difficult to manage this overseas so we looked at we started to spread into the north and um it was it was the culture was different it didn't the model didn't fit as well so we sort of um just plateaued and growth then from that and um, so i my current business partner paul walsh had come to me in 2017 when i was building halo um uh, and tried to get me involved in cryptocurrency and Bitcoin, and he was he was big into the blockchain. I turned the offer down. It wasn't something that suited me very well at all, and it wasn't something that I understood. So I did a bit of research into it, and I was I was interested, but I didn't have the understanding to create a business inside that space at that time. But then he came to me late 2018, and with the idea of Greenheart CBD. And I said, well, that's a goer, let's do it. So the two of us set up a company, 50-50 partnership. And um, that was the start of the journey that I'm on now. So wow. uh, Halo took a bit of a, well, quite a substantial hit during COVID, as you can imagine. Mm. Uh, all of our customers were office blocks and workplaces, which more or less shut for 18 months. So um, unfortunately, we had to let quite a few of the staff go. It's still an operation. We have seven drivers on the road and we will start to build that back up. But it'll be early next year again before you give it a, a real drive. At the moment, it's just serving and holding on to customers that are still uh, able and willing to keep the honesty box and the vendor machines in their workplaces. You should chat to Ollie Kavanagh from StrikePay. He has a business that, from my interpretation of how would help you would be save you time having to go and collect the all the cash and potentially save you some headcounts and i know that like getting rid of people is not the easiest thing in the world or not that might not might not be what you want to do but it's essentially uh he helps those who are in the delivery driving business or uh waiters carry around the card that people can tip directly to the person so if you're delivering dominoes to someone's house there can be a card that's delivered with it and they can scan and then tip the actual delivery person um if you're a person who's in 
the bathroom at a nightclub instead of handing them loads of cash they can carry one of these cards that people can tape if you're an honesty box owner there can be a machine or a thing yeah put next to the honesty box or like a you know one of those card the carry around cards that you can insert your card into and type your pin into they can be one of those put on the wall that says top here to an eight one euro twenty and instead yeah. of having to go every day and collect it every week and collect the cash they just tap 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 and you can log into your bank and see all the people that are donating money essentially saving you having to go around the country or sending people around the country That's definitely worth connecting with them interesting i actually developed well I wrote the plan for an app that I was going to implement um, using QR codes. So the QR, there was a QR code to be put on each of the honesty boxes. And there was two different logins, a login from the driver and a login from the consumer. Obviously, the consumer could only log in through one, um, but the driver would have a specified app that mm. um, would allow them the back end of the system. And you were you would be able to donate through it. It would give me full transparency and traceability from where the driver is, the time in which they were arriving to each site and all the data that was needed to get the KPIs correct and, um, and everything from that side. But it we didn't implement it due to the cost factor. Now, I was looking at that back in 15, I think it was. Okay. Um, so it was at the early days of the QR code and QR codes didn't really take off as quickly as they were expected to. They're far more uh, usable now. Um, mm-hmm. But in the early days, I thought they were going to just lift and it was going to be the new, the new way information was transferred. But it, it took a couple of years before anyone really um, used them properly. Now, now they're everywhere. And COVID is actually after um, amplifying that growth. Because mm-hmm. the passport and the lack of uh, paper, and you can't can't be using the same thing. You see, I was in Fort Ventura there two weeks ago, and nowhere had menus. It was just a QR code on the table, mm. and yeah, if you're either either your drinks menu or your uh, food menu, and you just scan it and put your order into that, amazing. Why yeah, that didn't is. Why that didn't catch on a couple of years ago? I don't know, but it has now. Yeah. Anyway. I was definitely shocked. I remember being in college at the time going, oh, yeah, this is going to take off. But it never did. There's a guy called James Dennis. Um, I can't remember the name of the company. He's a CTO at it. And he says for his previous job, he helped with the expansion of Meteor and a couple of other companies in, in that space in Ireland. He used to go to Japan a lot. And do you know that famous crossroad in the P- Japan that a lot of people take pictures at the busiest crossroad in the world or intersection? He says in that particular city, um, the he when he visited you would basically be able to see what life was like in the future the only unknown was that there would be 80 technology things that you'd never heard of or seen but only one or two of them would make it to the western world so it's to be able to spot those one or two that would make it and he was talking about some of this stuff that we're only seeing now they saw 25 years ago which is i've i I now have a massive uh desire to go and, and visit japan because I'd, I'd love to see what's out there. There was a, uh, my dad's old friend was in the house the other day and he had this device, like a Bluetooth thing you put in your ear. And I was like, that's just a Bluetooth speaker that you put in your ear to talk to. And he says, no, it's uh, J- a Japanese workers would uh, turn it on and it's a 30 minute timer that uh, sends a loud noise down your ear to wake you up when you're traveling to work so they could get an extra half an hour of sleep. And there's a button you can press the snooze. So they put this on when they're going on the bus to get an extra half hour of sleep. And it's like, some of the devices are, are, are crazy. Um, <laughs> I, I wouldn't be into that now. But no, 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 I, no, I, I wouldn't wear that. I'd probably look for a new job if I was struggling to sleep that much. Um, anyway, I, I went on a tangent there I did. But 
now today you're the co-founder and CEO of Greenheart CBD. So rather than me give the 30 second commercial, you'll do a much better job since you're the co-founder. So the yep. mic is yours. Super. Okay, Greenheart CBD was founded by myself, Mark Canavan and Paul Walsh. We founded Greenheart in 19, or 2019. Um, it's not that old, not yet. Um, and uh, so the idea was to bring the finest uh, handmade uh, CBD products to the Irish market. That's where we started. We decided that we were going to try implement some technologies into this space. So when we started looking at the business and uh, creating the business model, there, we saw some regulation coming into the space as it was it was new um, and the whole relationship with cannabis, although it's not cannabis and it doesn't contain THC, which is one of the cannabinoids that sits alongside CBD, but that's the cannabinoid that actually gets you high or stoned. CBD is a has health benefits solely um, and there's no side effects to it whatsoever from a psychoactive perspective or otherwise. So we went out and we were looking at different extraction methods because we wanted to have a fully transparent company. We wanted to bring the product from seed to shelf. So we went out and we found this specified um, extraction method called homogenized cold press. Cold press allows us to stay as a food supplement and it's, it's almost like juicing, but with an oil. Mm. So we, we were looking into cold press. There was a few different cold press products on the market. And um, then we found this extraction technology that was homogenized. Now, the homogenization is a very important part of our company. Um, it's it's basically, it's caused, it's like modification done to a cold press machine and it's additional pressure added in different, different ele elements and stages of the process. And what it does is with that, high level of pressure and then the release cativation occurs and it actually breaks and liaises the cells so it breaks them down so that they're gone from a particle size down to a minuscule size and it's easier in ingested by the body so when we produce a five percent cbd oil that could have the impact of a 15 percent cbd oil created through some of the other extraction technologies like co2 or ethanol which leave it in a quite a large uh, molecule size so a lot of that is actually wasted by the body. It's not absorbed at all. Now, we our product is also so effective due to the, the fact that it's a whole plant extract and it's fully natural. So we use a raw seed and the hemp plant then to extract. It's put to our extraction machinery. It's We get our oil. It's not refined or adjusted in any way. The only thing that we do after that process is filter and bottle our product. So it's fully natural right through. We then, while we were growing, we started growing in 2019 um, down in Wicklow with the a family called the Hanbridges. Ed had been involved in the hemp cultivation space. They're long-term family uh, farmers, but Ed got involved in uh, cultivation of hemp in 2015. Did a couple of years where they made no money. There was no infrastructure um, for the whole space. Like this hemp is a hugely utilizable plant and um, very good for the environment and sustainable. Uh, there's 50,000 uses for the hemp plant and food is, wow. there's about like 40 different products that can be produced for, as a food supplement through this. We, uh, we started growing, we did 10 acres. We've never farmed before. Um, two Dublin boys coming down. Uh, everybody was like, these guys are not going to make it. <laughs> but we got our hands dirty. We got in. We did what, what was supposed to be done. We picked a nice patch of land. 
hadn't been ploughed in 30 years. It was uh, the high nutrition count in the soil. We started doing research into areas that we had never even dreamt that we would be looking at before. So we, the growth started really well. We went in just at the right time. We were forecasting the weather. We were looking to see what the optimum um, uh, the sow rate was. So you can obviously different depending on what, how deep you want to go with the, with the seed. We did massive research into this space. So things were going really well. And then Paul got a con- um, got contacted by one of his contacts through LinkedIn, Dr. Sean Paisley. Sean is a has a Canadian company called Zenit, Zenit Drone now. It was Zenit Tech at the time. And he was running a drone program. And um, he was working with crops over in Canada. This was an outdoor program. And unfortunately, that year, they were hit with severe hailstones. And a lot of the crops in which he was working with were wiped out. So he said, well, you guys are working in a different climate. Would you mind if I came over and did my beta test with you? So he came over. We partnered with the company. And this drone technology started out as a method of monitoring scanning crops out in in the outdoor environment. So we um, grew our first crop. We took daily scans with multi-spectrum imaging, which allowed us to identify any problems that were coming into the crop. And later then, as we started to develop this further, um, we started to work towards identifying different aspects and weeds and why things were coming into the crop. And also the male plants, because when you grow hemp, the male plant is only grown to pollinate the female. The female is actually the one that produces the flower and after pollination will then produce the seed. In Ireland, we grow primarily for the seed and the stock. Um, We're not allowed to grow specifically for flower. It's just not uh, allowed through regulation at the moment. So what we did was um, we started to hash out more and more ideas with, with Sean and we were we were the only ones running the beta test for him. So we did the full year of getting all the scans, very interesting um, uh, scans and information were given back. The data collection was, was huge for us. And as a result, we actually did five times the average yield from that patch of land. So a, a farmer will estimate to grow two or to produce 200 kilos of dried flour from a, an acre site. That year we did just over a ton per acre. Mm-hmm. So with this new technology, we said, well, this isn't just method of uh, scanning and getting a bit of information back. This gave us the optimum time to grow, to optimum time to harvest. It allowed us to see exactly where different problems were occurring so we could fix that before it became a big problem or contaminated the rest of the crop. So from there, we said, well, what else can we do with this drone? So then with the identification of male and um, weeds throughout the crop, we said, well, why don't we create an arm or a robotic uh, mechanism that can eradicate these because they're not needed? So they're only suffocating the rest of the plants, which are, is, is, is the gold that we're trying to grow here. So this year, we developed our uh, drone that has um, multiple attachments, one of which is a robotic arm that comes down and actually blitzes both uh, weeds and male plants, anything unwanted within the field. It identifies this itself. So it goes out, scans. Once the scans are done, the, on the first round, we can pinpoint and say, this, this particular color or heat heat level is not needed within the field. So when it goes out, it scans, then it comes back, picks up the new attachment, out it goes and uh, eradicates that particular plant. 
this is massive for the industry. So it's it's called feminization, outdoor feminization. A lot of um, cannabis or hemp growers over in the States will grow with feminized seeds, meaning that they will have a 90% rate of, uh, or 90% chance of getting a female plant against a male. When we grow with just regular seed, it's a different method of growing and it's scattered. So we look for a canopy top. So it's just, they're very close together. And that can often reduce airflow and it's reducing airflow with 50% of the plants not needed and being waste. So if we can pull that 50% out, not only does it mean that the management of the harvest is much easier because you don't have these weeds and unwanted plants throughout it, it also means that your female is going to produce a higher rate because she has the air and the light source that's needed. So that... They, that then brought us on to our next level. So we said, right, well, so now we, we've got the te- IP technology to create these superior products. We've now got a data chain so we can now link our consumer with the farmer because and show the consumer the scans of our crop. And everything's about farm to fork now. It's all about traceability. Where does your product come from? So we're at the moment we're in the process of creating putting QR codes finally coming into uh, use on each of our products, which the customer can scan and it will link back and show you the crop as it came through its growth cycle, the travel cycle that it went on, but also tell you the story of the farmer that grew the crop. So it gives you the full chain, gives you a full story of that product that you've that you've purchased. So then from there we started to develop out other products. We won numerous awards on this journey. We were in the top 30 entrepreneurs under 30 years of age. We were accredited one of the businesses of the year through the All-Ireland Business Foundation. Paul was accredited as a thought leader in innovation, technology, and sustainability. Third place as product of the year in Cannabis Magazine. We were got funding round of the year, partnership of the year. Numerous awards, which is absolutely fantastic to get the recognition for what we were doing. But we... We were looking at different things. So we're bringing out new product lines now. We have a wellness range coming out, which will include topical balms and oils. And we've got an edible range coming out. This is a really interesting end of things. So we went down the confectionery route first. So we, it should be December or January when we have this product on the, um, on the shelves. But we've got a CBD-infused popcorn coming out. So we've partnered with the Irish Popcorn Company down in Wicklow. And we've got two different flavors coming out. It's a turmeric, black pepper, and lemon, and a sweet and salty. Aiming at different markets, sweet and salty is more your uh, college kind of younger uh, market, whereas the turmeric, black pepper, and lemon would be your health conscious uh, middle-aged person. Mm. Absolutely gorgeous in flavor and really interesting, lovely packaging. So I'll be looking forward to showing you them. But another product that we're bringing out in that range is a pro- CBD-infused protein powder, which would be a topping for cereals or smoothies. And the way in which we do this is we have a pure extraction technology. As it's a natural process, we extract our oil and we're left with a cake-like substance, which is plant matter and seed, which is high in protein. So it's, it's about 36 to 40% protein. So what we do is this, we blend this product which is a byproduct and blend it up and it's it's an edible usable product so it's it tastes lovely it's full of nutrition has cbd in, in, included in it and it's fully natural so we're now bringing that out and that's going to be uh, brought out in the three different seed blends that we use so we have a rapeseed blend a flaxseed blend and a hemp seed blend and they'll be on the market in q1 and next year as well 
but that allows our, pro our facility to be zero waste. So we use everything that comes in right through the chain to come out. There's no waste that comes out of our facility that's uh, for landfill. There's some recycle recyclable stuff from packaging, but that's mm. that's all recycled and brought back through. So that's where we are with our product ranges. That's good. That would be expanded out further. But then we went down the road of um, trying to collect the data then for the next stage. So as we have our um, IP technology in our extraction, we've got our lovely modular system set up. We funded this ourselves. It was totally bootstrapped. Just myself and Paul, two guys in their 20s. Obviously, you haven't created that much uh, savings at that point. I'd already bought a house. And <laughs> like funds were limited when it came to building a business, particularly with this sort of um, potential. So we went um, and we said, well, what way can we kind of bring this to the next level things were getting tightened when you start bringing products to market and doing uh, a lot of research and development like there's a lot of cost and time involved so we said well why don't we modulize modulize the system that we have and bring that to a, to a global market so allow other farmers to get into the space and to do what we're doing in a partnership model which will also allow us to do research further research in using strains and crops that we wouldn't be able to use here due to regulation mm. and um, to grow in different climates and to collect that data again, data being number one, that's where value really is held. So we said, okay, well, why don't we look at a model like that? Um, COVID hit and we were, we had so much stock, so little time, retail closed where we were to sell our stock. We needed funds. So we tried to go out to the market then with this, um, through a, a commodity-based token model. So we've tried to release a cryptocurrency called the punt. We we're going to bring the punt back, uh, our old Irish currency, and it was going to be backed by our CBD oil. This idea was fantastic. It, it, it re We really thought that we had found a gap in the whole crypto market using a commodity behind it because crypto is very speculative kind of space. Mm -hmm. um, huge revenues can be produced through it and great models, but... It's, it's new. There's a lot of scammy kind of games being played within it. And there's not a lot of true projects don't really um, like this route. Um, so we tried it and failed. So we went out, we had $4 million um, worth of stock. We put that up against this token that we were to bring to market. But it just didn't take. We didn't have the name. We didn't go through the right platforms. We were new to the space. Nobody understood what we were trying to do. We were trying to disrupt a market that was disrupting. And it was we were too traditional for what was happening. Mm. But through it, we did gain reputation and everybody saw that these guys are going to keep going and we're going to find a way to make this work. So then we looked at it from a different angle and we took expanded out the team through this. Um, our, we brought in a CEO, Shane Brett, who's CEO of that particular project, uh, still involved with us now, and um, took in CESO, Shane McQuillan. Uh, Shane McQuillan had been involved in a lot of blockchain projects and is very um, knowledgeable in the space. He said, why don't we go down a slightly different route with it? and use the modular system to help the underserved to bring farmers out of poverty and to to bring the research in using the idea that we already had but to use that as a funding model and get the funding in through that um through that model so we did and we went out and um we 
were backed by multiple institutional investors. And um, within, I think it was from the time where I actual this product, the token went on sale, I think it was a 36 hour period. We had raised $5.3 million. Wow. And we had now got our Greenheart CBD token up and live on a, on an exchange. It's trading now on PancakeSwap and um, it's just, it's gone from strength to strength. We've built out the platform. We've got the roadmap in place. We've started to fulfill the roadmap. We're getting the community built. We have a Telegram uh, group of about, I think it's just shy of 8,000 people. There's about 7,500 token holders currently. We're now speaking at the Web Summit in Lisbon, um, in Portugal, next month, um, all about circular economies and how to drive the whole token model. And we'd be really pushing it out through that, which I think would gain great traction. Mm. Today, we've actually just got a, a confirmation through uh, Paragon, um, which is one of the UFC uh, sponsorship agencies that we're sponsoring one of the events in Dublin this year on the 5th of November. Greenheart CBD are going to be primary sponsor. And we have, I think it's four UFC fighters that are going to be taking on our um, our product to sponsorship. So we've gone from strength to strength to strength, and it's it's only the start of the journey. The snowball has just it's just left the top of the mountain and it's about to grow further. Absolutely. Mark, I, I love what you're doing from the moment you started talking about like how you started the business to then bringing over the Canadian with the drone technology. That was music to my ears because I just love when people adapt and and change and recognize what, what they can do and then and, and improve it and then take out the males. And then you were talking about the 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 punt and how you adapted that. Hats off to you. Um, I, I love Thank what you. you're doing. I, I've got a couple of questions around your go-to-market approach because you've referenced um, the, the UFC. Um, I also saw recently on Instagram... Um, Connor Ryan was endorsing your product or was yeah. doing a paid ad. Um, and then you've also referenced the web summit. I'm going to call that an expo. You can call it a yeah. gathering of whatever you want. It's to. It is an yeah. expo. 80,000 people at one. Um, yeah. Sponsorship of Opinion Matters by Adrian and Jeremy as well. Um, so what's your focus if you look over the next 18 to 24 months your go-to-market approach i know you're touching on the influencer side of things you're touching on sponsorship maybe paid media as well partners i'm assuming you have loads of partners and then expos as well kind of give me a broad range of how you plan to get the product out there okay right well from a product perspective so we look at the company from two different angles we've got a product-based business and we've got a technology-based business the technology being the data collection points through the drone and the blockchain elements mm. that will be pushed out through influencers and at the likes of the web summit where we'll be doing where we do talks on our model and how we've driven it to where it is and we've also got a mobile application being developed which will have different staking pools we've augmented reality pools which is almost gamifying our token model. That's one element. That uh, Paul is the is the driver of that side of the business, and he's the technology expert. He's he's an amazing vision, um, and he's the one that kind of pieces this all together. I kind of he's like a racehorse that I'm trying to hold on to and manage. <laughs> so, analogy. I um, I I manage, and I'm the CEO of Greenheart CBD as a parent company. So I'm I'm in charge of the product based business. We have been looking for distribution um, now from the time we got 
our product off the ground. We started to drive through influencers and through social media. As I said, we were bootstrapped. We funded this all ourselves in the beginning. Mm -hmm. So we had very little and uh, funding behind us. It was trying to pay the mortgage each month was a bit of a struggle when everything was just being pumped back in. And uh, it was just all self-promotion through social media. So then um, we started to gain a bit of traction and we believe it or not, we actually do a huge amount of work with the autistic community. So we have this particular um, super, super mom, as I like to call her, Rona Cullinan. Uh, she has three uh, special needs kids, one um, of which is Asperger's, one is um, yeah, Down syndrome and one is autism. Joshua, um, her middle child, is severe autism, and he was, he was, he was nonverbal at a point. He um, did very poor communication skills. It was terrible. She actually documented the whole thing because, in the beginning, she was unsure as to what it was uh, that was different about Joshua against other kids in his class and the development and the stages in which he was going through. Now she started to use a CBD oil called Charlotte's Web. It's based out of Colombia, but they, with the extraction methods, the regulation in uh, Europe, which is known as the novel foods, that's why we we went down particular extraction methods that we did. So we we're classified as a food supplement, but because of that, they had to pull from Europe. So they pulled, and unfortunately for mothers like um, like Rona and other families around the country that were reliant on this product, they couldn't um, couldn't access it anymore. Now she found Greenheart and said, well, look, I've tried 10 or 15 different CBD companies and nothing's working like, and then we started talking to her and said, well, ours is, a little, is, is different. Like give it a shot and see what you can do. Now, as I explained, we have three different um, seed blends and there's, there's reasons behind each of those. And we do a lot of research into the carrier oils being the seed that's used with the um with the hemp extraction so we had we started then we had our hemp seed blend which is hemp and it being a hemp product it just keeps it all under the one umbrella under the same plant but we brought out a flaxseed blend and the reason for that was because the high omega count in it and the the access the use of omegas in brain development so we said like if if you're trying to work a cognitive issue with um, CBD and autism, but well, I think this would be a good carrier oil for it. So she started to use it with Joshua and the results were phenomenal. You, if you can um, go on to Instagram and check out Molly and Joshua, that's her uh, page that she has uh, and she's documented the whole journey on there. So she started to see amazing results. It was phenomenal. Over a couple of weeks, Joshua started to speak again. He was saying words that he'd never said before. Like, and he was a couple of years old at this stage. Like, he had developed verbally, and then it 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 was like he closed in on himself. And then, um, then he he started to her his affection level started to increase with his with his brothers and sisters, with her and her and her husband. And uh, she was just ringing us saying, this is phenomenal. Like, what? I can't believe that this is happening. I thought what was good was happening with Charlotte's Web, but this is another level. So she really, had, she became a huge advocate for us and pushed us out through the community. Because as you can imagine, in if you're in the autistic community, everybody's very close because they're all going through similar journeys together and they're trying to help mm. each other in the same ways. As, as with any ailment, um, people generally kind of associate closely to see how you can help one another. So thanks to Rona was a huge benefit for us in the beginning because she, well, it was from a self-fulfillment perspective, it's great to help people and it makes you feel good. It, it took the 
the pressures of us just trying to drive from a profitability perspective. And then we were making real change. We knew CBD was great. It's a food supplement. I've seen people use it for physical ailments and that sort of thing. But to see it change in lives and making mothers' lives that bit easier was just out of this world. So, so then in turn, she was then telling everybody her story, which was driving our sales and which had a benefit for everybody. And uh, so that's where our whole um, our whole influencer aspect started. So th- this was the first real driving force we had from that perspective. So we we drove through that angle for quite a while. And then we started to advertise with the likes of Goss.ie. We got some adverts in the Irish Times, the Irish Independent, Cannabis Magazine, which is a cannabis and, cannabis and CBD-based uh, media company over in the UK. And so, so through some paid outlets, as we started to get some funds generated, then um, COVID hit, we had retail shut. Every time we, we pushed on it, we got a couple of stores on board and the stores were closed for a period of time. Mm. It was a never-ending battle that we had there. But then we got listed with Unifar. So Unifar, which was a, was a bit of a struggle that we had for quite a while. We were trying and trying and trying. Unifar are one of the biggest distributors into pharmacy across the country. So we got listed with them in July of this year. So something we we're very proud of. So we've started to roll that out now. Um, so if you're looking for any great CBD product, you can get it on our website, which is greenheartcbd.ie. But you can also get it in any pharmacy. And uh, it may not be stocked on the shelf, but if it isn't, you can request it. And Unifar have superior service, which if you request a product in the morning, it'll be there by three o'clock that evening. So even if it's not on the shelf, they'll have have it for you within that day. So this is this is driven sales now from a retail perspective. That's our main uh, route to market for that product line. Then we've got our edible line. So we've, we're partnered with the Irish Popcorn Company. We're going to go through this through different distribution channels through that. That's a totally different area. So that's the FMCG market. So we'd be looking at the likes of four carts, garages, convenience stores, supermarkets. Totally different retail mm-hmm. segment. So they'll be going, we're in talks with a couple of different distributors. And because we've got a product that is new and not on the market here in Europe yet, we've got a gap. So we've got a gap. We've got a good product. The packaging is outstanding. And we really feel it's going to drive off the shelves. I don't see an issue there. Um, then our cosmetics line will be driven through the Unifar side of things again. So our route to market is to answer the question simply is both through our online elements the marketing uh, aspects are through paid media and through the influencers mm. and then for um our fmcg side of things it's through the other other elements of retail such as forecarts and supermarkets i'm gonna leave links below to molly's instagram page and your website if anyone's interested in either of them wherever they're listening or yeah. watching this um one or two more questions for you, Mark. Uh, before I do that, you should check and connect with Niall Phelan from the Naked Collective. Um, he launched the Naked Collective December 19, 2019, and he's collabed with the likes of Wiz Air. He was in the goodie bag for the Academy Awards. He's in 1,500 stores across Canada, a couple thousand stores across the US. Launched Sterling and Spar in Ireland, and all this is within the last 18 months. The companies they have they have more demand than supply in the US at the moment. So definitely worth connecting with as a way of like connecting 
the doctor linking up. I'm yeah. more than happy to give you an introduction to Niall as well. He's a great guy. Um, his business partner, Catherine Butler, who's the other co-founder, actually lives in Ratos. Very small oh, well. world. There you go. It's <laughs> a great you know, county, isn't it? <laughs> it's a great county, yeah. Um, is there a commonly held belief about your industry or role that you disagree with? And if so, what is it? Um, belief or role? I would, it's more of a stigma. Um, mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of education needed for the space. I think that everybody that looks at CBD, they immediately think cannabis. And um, that's not the case. Um, it, they, pe- people just need to be educated in it to understand that this is not a drug, it's a food supplement. There are no psychoactive or side effects from it. And that that is turning and people are uh, learning and getting more educated in it. But um, yeah. it is still, um, unfortunately, a stigma that sits around the product. But as we get to tell more and more stories of the success stories of our product, we actually brought out, which I'll give you a link for as well, um, a mini series that we've just started and it's called Greener Hearts. And it's um, about some of our long-term customers and the journey that they went on and the benefits that they've felt from it. Unfortunately, because it's a food supplement and the lack of research that's gone into the space, we have to be very careful in how, how we explain the benefits because we, yeah. we can't make any claims around our product. Now, a customer can tell people how they have felt after taking it, but we can't relate our product to anxiety, to pain, to any of the elements in which it may help and has been seen to help um, a lot of people. So it's, it's, it's difficult to market from that perspective. But Again, education and evolution allowing that to happen. <laughs> so I, so I can give it all the credit in the world, but you can't say much. <laughs> yeah, I can just say it's great. <laughs> uh, final question for you, Mark. Um, what's your personal definition of success? Self fulfillment. It's making a change. It's helping others. It's it's, it's bringing along a a an ethos and a. A thought process that um, everybody can join along with and bringing a team together to to drive for better good. I don't think money is the end of it. Um, mm. Money all, always helps, but uh, it's it's not the be all and end all. It's uh, it's just one factor which isn't which isn't number one when, build, when building a business or uh, just trying to be successful in other elements. Like often, business is one one way people determine success, but. Uh, I think if you're helping someone, that's more more important than uh, than driving profits. I love it. We'll leave it there, Mark Canavan. Uh, I've had a true pleasure in spending the last hour chatting with you. I'll leave links to everything we mentioned below, from the Instagram pages to your website to your product, your shop, um, the video series as well. Anything you want to send me on, I'll leave links to wherever you're listening or watching this. But for today, thanks for being my guest, and I wish you continued success. You too, and it's been a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Beautiful morning, beautiful sun.